and we are just sort of been overwhelmed by the things that he does. He, he calms the storm when he's in the boat with the disciples, which Stacy talked about last week. He calls a tax collector to become one of his disciples, which is a revolutionary thing. And over the courses of chapter 8 and 9, which we're going to reflect on chapter 9 tonight, we see Jesus doing amazing miracles and healings. And so I want us today to think about and to get in touch with some of the aspects of this story and the stories you're going to hear and the people you're going to learn of in this story. So I want to ask you this question to turn somebody next to you. Just two of you can ask. Let me ask you this. Is there ever time that you hit the wall and you just ran out of options? And you, you didn't think there was anything left? Like, imagine if you're a runner and you hit the wall when you're running and you're like, I cannot go another mile. Well, that's in running. That would happen to me in about mile three or four on a 26-mile marathon. Some people, it happens around mile 21, 22. I want you to think about more than just physical things. When have you ever hit the wall in something, and what happened when, in that moment? What did you do in that moment when you hit the wall? So turn to each other, just talk about that. What, what happened when you were at the end of your rope, when you hit the wall, whatever it was? Talk about that for a minute real fast. All right, one minute warning. All right, 20 second warning. All right. So let me ask you a question. I'm not going to ask you to answer that out loud. But I want to start out with this. Have you ever noticed when a significant event happens, like a natural disaster or something happens uh, in our country, that oftentimes when that happens, the President of the United States will go to a place and visit it and learn firsthand what's going on. Have you seen that? Like uh, it, with the hurricane that happened back in New Orleans in 2005, Hurricane Katrina, right? President Bush took a lot of heat, right? Because he flew over, but he didn't land and go down and see what's happening. And I, I, I'm reminding you of that because what I think we see happening here with Jesus is Jesus is God who has come down to live in human form and to reveal some things about God. 
And it says this in our passage. At the end of the scripture, I'm going to read in a minute. It says this. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. To me, what Jesus is, I think, experiencing is that he's known about the condition of humankind. And I'm sure he's been in touch with that. But now that he is walking around the land of Israel and he's teaching in the Galilee, he's seeing up close and in person the reality of some of the lives that are going on and the impact of the sin and the brokenness of the world. And I think he's moved to compassion. And so tonight, I want to read to you the stories of four different people. And I want you to see just how Jesus' heart goes out to them. And I think as it goes out to them, my hope is that you'll see that Jesus' heart goes out to you as well in your experience. So hear the word of the Lord. While Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment on. When Jesus entered a ruler's house, when, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead, but she's asleep. But they laughed at Jesus. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David! And when he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and asked him, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to make you well? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no no one knows about this. But they went out and spread news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in our text tonight, I want to sort of unpack for us a minute what's going on. 
because we meet four desperate people in four desperate situations who are all looking to Jesus to do something. We meet a father whose daughter is at the point of death. In, in Mark and in Luke, it says that he came to Jesus while she was still alive. And then in the delay that she passed away, but in this text, Matthew might be summarizing for them, it says that she was already dead. We meet a woman who interrupts Jesus on the way to the leader's house, to Jairus' house, and she's been suffering for 12 years from a menstrual disorder or some kind of uh, reproductive disorder, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. We meet two blind men who... In that day, if you were blind, they sort of attributed that to someone had done something wrong, right? Another point, Jesus, when Jesus encounters a blind man, it says, one of his, who sinned, this man or his parents? And so these blind men have experienced this sort of ostracized life of being blind men. And then we meet someone who's mute and can't speak because they're possessed by a demon. All of them are in desperate situations and are all wondering, What can Jesus do? And tonight I want for a moment just to talk with you and, what, and ask this question. This passage is all about Jesus' compassion for those around him, his compassion for the people that he encounters, his compassion for the human plight. But it's also about, marked chapters 8 and 9 are about this phrase is that what are we supposed to do with faith? And so tonight, I want to ask this question, what can we learn from the faith of these four people? And the first thing is this, is that each and every one of these people had an unwavering determination to get to Jesus. It may seem simple, but think about this. Jairus, whose daughter is either dead or at the point of death, leaves his dying daughter Because he so refuses to believe what is going on that he leaves his daughter either in her dying moments or when she's already dead and comes to Jesus because he has heard that Jesus can do these things and he wants to claim that for his daughter. He's not ready to accept what's going on with his daughter. He's very desperate. And her condition is hopeless. He's willing to risk everything to come to Jesus. He's a religious lure, a synagogue leader, perhaps in Capernaum. And so, you know how the religious leaders feel about Jesus. Do they like him? No. They don't like him. So for for Jairus to come to Jesus in this moment of desperation is putting his standing at risk as one of the leaders. And amazingly, when he comes in this desperate place at the end of all of his options, Jesus responds willingly and gets up with urgency to go to his house. Then we see the woman, the woman who presses through all the barriers to get to Jesus, right? She's trying to stay low. She's trying to stay out because you can imagine if you had been suffering from a condition of bleeding for 12 years, that'd be a difficult situation. It says in Mark that she spent all of her money going to the doctors, trying to figure out an answer. The doctors had gotten wealthy. She'd gotten poor, but she'd not gotten well. And the reality is, in that day, if you had a 
bleeding disorder like this one or any other one, you were considered ceremonially unclean, and it was your responsibility to stay away from other people. And so she had experienced the isolation and the suffering. She'd been labeled unclean and probably labeled a couple other things because of the nature of her bleeding disorder. She's unable to touch others. She'd probably given up on marriage and on family. She'd been totally isolated. And she hears this thing. Jesus had, in the earlier chapters, healed a leper. Jesus had broken that cultural construct and touched a leper who also was unclean. So now she's coming to Jesus, but she's trying to remain low because she's trying to honor the expectation that people are unclean. We also see these blind men who come up to Jesus who want him to heal them. And Jesus asks them questions and amazingly, Jesus keeps going, right? He doesn't stop. He says, well, and then when he got home. So it's like, hey, these blind guys are there. And he's like, well, he didn't stop right then. He kept walking, went home. Somehow they got there, which is a a testament to their faith. But here's the amazing thing, is that all these people in these moments of desperation, all of them had this passion and this unwavering determination to get to Jesus. And here's what I want to challenge you and me with tonight at first. Because here's what I've observed, is that when I get into a difficult place or when I talk to students who are in a difficult place, that's not always true. When we get into difficult circumstances, sometimes we get down and our perspective changes. And when we think about going to God, God sometimes in reality seems like the last place to go we wrongly conclude that Jesus is absent or that he doesn't care. But the cool thing is that we can learn, and I want to challenge myself with and you with tonight, is that when you're in the midst of something desperate or difficult or that doesn't seem to be changing, can you fight against that temptation to hold it in or to think that God doesn't care and to bring that struggle to Jesus. And I want to ask you hypothetically tonight just this question. What in your life have you decided that Jesus is incapable of doing? What struggle are you in? What situation are you in the midst of that you've concluded, no, God's not really able to do anything with that? What bondage, what hurt, what relationship, whether it's a parent relationship or a sibling relationship or a dating relationship, have you concluded there is just not much hope? I don't think God's doing anything there. What people or situations have you already written off because they are beyond your own ability to fix or change? For me, it's one of the situations with my brother. I, my brother Mark is older than me, and it's uh, been a long journey as he's cared for his son who has autism. And it's hard for me to, to stay in this posture of change with something that doesn't ever seem to change. And as I've been preparing this message, I've been a little uneasy because I know that 
that was challenging me. So tonight, I want to, to challenge you. Whatever situation you're facing, can you just relentlessly have this idea that I'm going to bring it before Jesus? Because we're really good at talking with other people. I see you guys do it. You're like, i got to talk to them. i got to talk to them. i got to talk to them. But sometimes we never talk to God about our problems. And so I want to challenge you with that tonight. The second aspect of their faith that is challenging to me is that they have an uncompromising faith in Jesus' compassion, his identity, and his authority. Did you notice what Jairus said when he came before Jesus in this moment of desperation? He says, Jesus, come to my house. And if you put your hand on my daughter, who's already dead, according to the Scripture, she will live. That's a bold faith. Not willing to accept death. His desperation led him to risk everything he knows because he knows that Jesus can heal his daughter even though she just died. Now this woman who'd been isolated and alone and unclean for 12 years shows another kind of faith. She says, if I can only touch Jesus' garment, then I will be healed. And I want to pause for a moment to, to reveal to you something that I learned when I studied in Israel on a trip a number of years ago in 1996 when you were like three years old. Um, this is called a talit, or you might know of it as a prayer shawl. And in the Old Testament, God commands the Jewish people to have a talit, and on their talit, to um, fasten tassels. It says in Numbers that you're supposed to fasten tassels on the corners of your robe as a reminder of God's commandments and of God's um, provisions and his teachings to the people. And so if Jesus was a faithful rabbi in his day, he would probably be wearing a garment such as this when he walked around. Can you say talit? All right, that's what this is called. The corner of this is called the kanaf. Can you say kanaf? I'm not as good at this as Ben and Stacy. It's just not my thing. All right. All right, kanaf is, means corner, or it also means wing. All right, and then this is um, a seat seat. It's like a T and then zit and zit. Again, that's what, like, that's how you spell it. T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. So, and this is, this is the seat seat. You got it? Now, as I was told by Ray Vanderlaan, who taught this to me, there are five knots on here reminding us of the five books of the, Shema, of, of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And it says this in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, where it's talking about when the day of the Lord 
is going to come. It says that surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be, will be stubble, and that day is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere, who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, Son, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Now what did I say this kanaf meant? It meant corner or wings. So as Jesus is walking around, walking through a crowded town perhaps, or at least on a crowded road, this woman who has been isolated and alone makes this amazing move towards Jesus. And she reaches out to grab the corner or the wing of his robes. And if she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, what did it just say? That there was healing in his wings. So what's really cool about that is that it's not that she's just reaching out in desperation, even though she is. She's reaching out as a testament of faith to grab the healing that she believed the Messiah, as he's living and breaking into this new world, would be bringing. And amazingly, what does it say? Immediately, she was healed. Now, what would normally happen if an unclean person touched a religious leader like that? Who would be unclean now? The religious leader. But Jesus turns it around. Jesus, by his power and what he's starting, now the power goes from him and makes her clean. And he does an amazing thing. He says, daughter, publicly. He doesn't let her slip away. He doesn't let her slip away like she came. He publicly reaffirms, renews, and restores her standing in the community. Just a beautiful testament to her uncompromising faith in the identity and the authority of Jesus. And these blind men now, I'll move to the third. The blind men, what do they call out to Jesus while he's going by? Son of David. This is the first time it's ever been said in this gospel, even though this gospel is said a lot. And it is a messianic term, which refers to Jesus' line and authority as a son of David, which David was Jesus, the, the <laughs> pause. The Messiah was from the line of David. And so they're calling out to him in a prophetic term saying, Son of David, will you heal us? So all of them have this uncompromising faith, this ability to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, in the midst of my difficult situation, I look to you for your power and your authority. And what I want to challenge us tonight is that faith is about looking at Jesus, to his power and authority. In our world today, when we describe faith, oftentimes we talk about it just being a sincere kind of belief or trust 
And it doesn't really matter what you believe in as long as you're sincere about it. I grew up in Chicago, north side. I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, or I should be. Now, the Cubs have very devoted fans who are, have faith that someday they will win a World Series, right? It's been a hundred years, and even though they've had very, very faithful fans, nothing has happened. Here's what I want to challenge you with. The amount of faith that you have is absolutely meaningless. It's the object of your faith that matters. Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. When the Bible or we as Christians talk about the power of faith, we are talking about the effect of exclusive faith in Jesus that God gives as a gift. And when we see in these verses that Jesus has been saving people from death, that he restores life, that he opens the eyes to see, that he breaks the chains of spiritual bondage and gives voices to speak to people who are mute. We need to remember that the reason why Jesus is doing this is not because they have attained some measure of faith that now they hit the bar and now Jesus will heal them, but because their faith is rightly directed at him as king, as the great physician, and as Lord of all. Now here's the reason why I say this. Because I've been really scared to give this message. Because I don't want anyone to leave here today having me somehow misinterpreting what I'm saying and saying somehow, if I have enough faith, that situation that I'm in, that that's automatically going to change. And the reason why it's not changing is because I don't have enough faith. All right, I'm just warning you, I'm going to say this, I might cry, but it'll be okay. When I was 13 years old, my dad was 51, three years older than I am now. And my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Um, he quickly digressed. And after about two years, had to be taken care of. Even though before that, he was a vice president of sales for a company in Chicago. So I watched my father from the age of 13 to the age of 26, suffer the effects of Alzheimer's. I saw it ravage my family, and I saw it, excuse me, that's why I have the water. Mm. I saw it change my family. I saw it damage relationships. And I raised a lot of questions. I said a lot of prayers for God to heal my dad. You know what? It never came in the way that I wanted it to come. Um, I prayed for permission to kill my dad. I never got it. I wondered if it was my fault. 
I wondered if I had more faith, if God would do something. So if you're in a situation where you're wondering, why isn't God moving? I don't want you to conclude tonight that somehow I am saying that if you get a genuine enough faith, or if you get more faith, or that if you get something that automatically God's going to heal you like you see in these stories. What I want you to do is know that even in the midst of all that pain that comes if I choose to focus on it, is that God was faithful, and God was there, and God gave me strength in the midst of those things to sustain one of the most difficult situations I could imagine, and still the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. But I want to boldly proclaim to you tonight is that all these people in our scriptures, in their desperation, in their need, they place their trust in Jesus. It's not just the strength of our faith that saves a person, but it's our faith in Jesus as Messiah, as King. And faith often starts when we run out of human options and we need to turn to God in desperation and say, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. Here's the cool thing. It's never too late with Jesus, right? The woman's been suffering for 12 years. How long did it take her to get out? A moment. The ruler comes to Jesus after his daughter was dead. And Jesus still could act in the midst of an impossible situation. It says in Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and for the conviction of things unseen. What I want to challenge us to tonight is the third thing that I think we can learn from, from our characters or the people in these stories is their unlimited perspective about God's power and God's ability. In Matthew 8 and 9, all the miracles and all the healings testify to God's power over nature, over illness, over sin, over evil, over death. Jesus' miracles and healing testify to his unique role as Messiah and Savior. Jesus is, as he is walking around on this planet, reversing the curse that was started by our humanity's sin and brokenness. And God's new kingdom is breaking in. Right? The woman touched Jesus. The way it was supposed to go was that Jesus would be unclean, but instead she's made clean. Death is supposed to be the final word for the daughter, but it's not. Obviously, she dies again, but Jesus raises her to life. And Jesus, when he finally goes to accomplish out of compassion his death on the cross, his dying and rising to life, they think that's the end. But it's not. It's the beginning of God breaking in and doing a new thing. And that Jesus has won for us our healing forever. And so 
we see in this story that Jesus is changing situations that seemed impossible. I found this quote I love. It says, it's not your circumstances that matter, it's your God that matters. Because I know sometimes we're tempted to give up and to look elsewhere because Jesus isn't acting fast enough or Jesus isn't acting in the way that we want to. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, we must learn to trust Christ and his promises no matter how we feel, no matter what others say, and no matter what the circumstances may look like. Right? Jesus shows up at the ruler's house and all these professional mourners are there who are playing flutes and they're, they're grieving loudly and all these things are happening because in that culture you were buried on the day that you died. But Jesus shows up and says she's just asleep and then he casts all those people who are laughing out and then he raises her to life. It's not too late for some of the situations that you face. For that broken relationship, for those addicting habits, emotional scars, I want you tonight to learn from these folks and challenge myself. I've been as honest as I can to look to Jesus, to get your problem, get yourself to the feet of Jesus. And here's where I want to finish with this footnote because I so badly don't want to lead you somewhere else. So will our sincere faith always lead to healing, always result in healing? No, not always. At least not in our timing. God is always compassionate, and we can always trust God in his choices. When you call on him, his intervention into our circumstances is always a miracle. In Psalm 91, 15, it says, When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue, and I will honor them. We can always trust in God's promises. It says in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. In Isaiah 55, it says this, Seek the Lord while he he may be found. Call on him while he is near. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So tonight, I want you to hold two things in tension. One is, I want you to learn so badly about the trust and the faith and the posture that these people brought the the desperate father, the bleeding woman, the blind men and the demon-possessed man all came to Jesus and were convicted that he had the authority and the power to do something. I want you to live like that in your relationship with God. And I also want you to live with a kind of trust that says, when God doesn't answer in my time and in my way, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to trust that he knows better. And I say that because I've lived it 
and I've experienced it, and I've experienced his healing power. And I want you to know, God can do the impossible with you. I've seen people changed, released from addictions, relationships with abusive fathers, with caustic relationship with parents, all kinds of abuse healed because of the power and the love of Jesus. And I pray that, that you may experience this healing, great physician Jesus in your own life. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we claim tonight that you do care and that your heart is filled with compassion for us and for each of our particular situations. Lord, we want to bring ourselves to you. And we pray tonight that we wouldn't settle for a situation that seems impossible, that we would bring it to you, that you may do more than we ever ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy and for your healing, which was won for us by Jesus' death and resurrection. And we pray it in the strong and powerful and compassionate name of Jesus. Amen.